6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 21 through 23. Well, we are in uh, 2 Kings, 7th session. We're going to cover chapters 21 through 24 in this session. And just by way of review, you may recall that the northern kingdom, of course, had its kings go from bad to worse, and it, in previous sessions, of course, it went into captivity. The southern kingdom also had about 20 kings, but about eight of them were de- labeled good. See, the problem with the northern kingdoms, they didn't have any good guys. They went from bad to worse. Wouldn't, uh, uh, they had some very strong kings. They conquered a lot of positive things in, in secular terms, but from the Lord's point of view, they all continued to embrace idolatry, so they finally were wiped out. They were absorbed, assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom had about 20 kings, but about uh, seven or eight of those were labeled good, um, and they were all one dynasty. See, in the northern kingdom, there were murders. <coughs> Pardon me. No pepper on those cookies, is there? <laughs> uh, the northern kingdom went through about, I think, seven dynasties. There were assassinations and so on. Southern kingdom was always the house of David, royal line. It had its ups and downs. It also had a lot of bad kings, but they had enough good guys to keep it somewhat on track. And one of your assignments might be to go review your notes and see if you can identify which were the good guys, which were the bad guys in the house of Judah. It's easy for the northern kingdom. They're all bad guys, some worse than others. But the southern kingdom, they had some some good guys and others. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Hezekiah. He was a good guy. We're talking about Manasseh, who is the worst of the bunch. Manasseh is so bad that God promises as a result of his reign to that they're going to go into captivity. Uh, Ammon came for just a couple of years. But then Josiah follows, in effect, Manasseh, and uh, he's a good guy. And he's such a good guy that God tells Josiah, because your heart is right, the judgment that's coming because of Manasseh is still going to come, but it won't come in your days. You'll go to your grave in peace. That was his gift, if you will, for being a good guy. And uh, then uh, in, the, in the next session, the final session, we'll talk about the, uh, the final four guys. Now, there's some winners and losers. As I said, now, Hezekiah reigned, good guy, reigned for 29 years. Then Manasseh, the worst of the bunch, he reigned for 55 years. And it's, it's by tradition that's alluded to in the book of Hebrews, but softly, that uh, Manasseh was the guy that sawed Isaiah in half. With a wooden saw. Bad guy. Bad news. We'll, we'll, re, we'll get in him. Ammon was a couple of years. And then Josiah comes. And in Josiah's reign, there's some exciting discoveries. There are some things in the text that have been overlooked by most scholars in terms of a prophetic opportunity. So we'll get into that. So with that, let's go to Second Kings chapter 21, which of course is going to focus on this, this guy Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. 
And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. That phrase is almost sounding like a chorus or an echo. It's after so many of these kings. They just, they are just bad news. They're not doing what God called them to do. See, rather than doing the God-honoring practice, in this case, Manasseh doesn't have much excuse because his father, Hezekiah, was a good guy. So, but he reverted instead back to the, to his grandfather, Ahaz, and, uh, reestablished the detestable practices of uh, the native Canaanite people uh, in the land. And he built up again the high places. See, remember, some of these kings did a pretty good job. They got rid of the idols, but they didn't get rid of the high places. Remember, they did. They they they, they get sort of a B plus, not an A plus. In this case, he not only did he not only see his his predecessor had wiped out the high places. That's one of the good news things about Hezekiah. But uh, Manasseh comes and he built up again the high places. These are places where they would offer uh, incense and things to. Uh, idols and so on. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove. Now there's that translation again. It's actually a phallic symbol. It's an ashtaroth. It's a, uh, it, it has to do with the worship of Astarte and all that. As did Ahab, the king of Israel. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? They were up north. They were bad news. He's doing, th- uh, th- emulating them in a sense. Bad news. He's following the wrong heroes here. As did Ahab, the king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Worshipping the planets, zodiacal worship. We're talking about astrology here. Not astronomy, that's fine. Astrology. It's a, it's a, it has all kinds of forms, not just the kinds of forms you see around today, but in any case, it's worshipping the host of heaven and serve them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said, in Jerusalem will I put my name. You know, Jerusalem is the name, is the place that, G, that God Carved out for himself, put his name on this uh, on it. He, he's very jealous of that. You say that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Indeed, it is. But there's this particular piece of real estate, the land of Israel, that's his, and very especially city of Jerusalem, where he put his house. The house of the Lord was there. Well, um, Manasseh not only departed from the proper worship, he put idols in the temple, and uh, from other texts and stuff, we will we'll find that that he made reading the Torah a crime. He tried to destroy all copies of the Torah, all the holy scriptures he could find. Fortunately, there's some that were hidden that get rediscovered in the days of Josiah. But Manasseh, you need to really understand, to understand some other inferences we're going to get to, you need to understand, he he was on a rampage. He wasn't just not faithful to, to the Lord. He went out of his way to destroy worship of the Lord and to extol these uh, these uh, idols and so forth. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he is really defaming, uh, desecrating the holy ground. So this is this is just a way of defying. You know, it's always dangerous to defy the living God. You know, that's not a good idea, and that's exactly what he's doing. And, uh, and of course I'm being, anyway. And he made, now he, go, it goes on. And he made his son pass through the fire. This is infant, uh, uh, offerings here. Made his son pass through the fire. And observed times. That's astrology again, divination. And he, he observed times. This is a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange translation, but it has to do with uh, casting horoscopes. And used enchantments. 
and he dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. Do you know anybody that does that today? They do, you know. Active witchcraft is a occultic practice that's widespread in our culture. It shocked me to really discover that. Uh, uh, in my executive career, I was astonished to discover how many um, people that you'd think were educated and uh, they may be they may be rationalists, they may not be Christians, but you think they'd but you'd be astonished how many people are still into that into the occult. Anyway, he wrought such wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So Manasseh is, in effect, going out of his way to anger the creator of the universe. That's not a good policy. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. In other words, he not only is doing these terrible things, he is doing it in the house of the Lord. What do you think God feels? How do you think he feels about that? You know, one of the things we need to really understand is the things that get that God likes and the things that get him upset. We need to understand God has very strong preferences. We need to understand those. He's going out of his way to anger the Lord. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. This is, the, you know, this is going back and quoting the uh, uh, the, the, uh, the passages. Um, now, I want you to notice verse nine. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. After the forty years wandering in the wilderness under Joshua, they went in and conquered the land. And part of part of the agenda here was to wipe out the abominable practices of the indigenous tribes, the tribes of Canaan. They did all kinds of horrible things. And and, uh, um, this is a family program, so I won't describe all the details, but the most obscene, sensual, uh, horrible practices were part of the religious culture in those days, all kinds of shapes and sizes. So this is quite a startling statement is that under Manasseh they did more evil than did the nations whom the Lord Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. God wiped out these nations. There were seven of them that under Joshua and so on. Manasseh was worse than any of them. So he's bad news. And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh... And by the way, when it says the Lord spake by his servants the prophets... Among the conspicuous ones, of course, is Isaiah and Micah at this time. And one of the things you should do in your Bible study is you, as you make a list of the kings and where they, in the order that they're going, in another column, put the prophets that also paralleled those reigns. But in any case, uh, because Manasseh the king of Judah hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. See, in other words, this is a dangerous thing about a leader. He can make us he can be sinning by worshiping idols, that's bad enough. But by his example and by his administration, he makes others fall, that compounds his felony, if you will. That makes him uh, ever more guilty. 
who had done wickedly before the Amorites, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. <laughs> you know, it's hard to excel the the the, the, the uh, majesty of the King James. It gets very earthy when it needs to. It also, it, 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 I don't know, it just, it just communicates as far as I'm concerned. And so, um, in other words, he's, he's promised that the news of what's going to happen of Jerusalem and Judah's disaster will shock everyone that hears it. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. <laughs> Graphic language. This is the God of the universe talking. This is our Lord talking. Boy, it's, and uh, when he talks about stretching a, a straight plumb line, that sort of that's a way of, uh, of symbolizing destruction against Jerusalem. And uh, 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 he's going to do against Manasseh what was, has been done to Samaria and the, the dynasty of Ahab. See, one of the strange things, one of the strange predicaments of the house of Judah is they've had almost a hundred years to watch what's going, uh, 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 what happened in the northern kingdom. Their neighbors, their sister nation or brother nation, however you want to put it, going down the drain and getting wiped out. And the prophets made it clear why. You would think that Judah would, you, you, uh, you know, look to them as an example. See, they're really without excuse. And that point, the prophets make that point, by the way. If you read uh, 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 the Isaiah and the rest of them, they make that point. To look at Judah as an example. And God's saying that here, I will stretch over Jerusalem a line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. In other words, I'm going to destroy it like I did Samaria and like I did to the dynasty of Ahab and Jezebel and so on. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish. <laughs> Wiping it and turning it upside down. He's going to, he, He's got a clean house, in effect. Now, does he wipe out the southern kingdom like he does the northern kingdom? No. Because they deserve it? No. I mean, they do deserve to be wiped out. They don't deserve any grace. But he made a promise to David. God has a program. God has a plan. The Messiah will come out of the line of David. He says, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the land of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. And uh, in other words, the ones that remain... He's, because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt even unto this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much, get this, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Blood from border to border. Manasseh is bad news. We need to understand that. Now, a little summary statement here. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. His son will reign for about two years. It's obviously not the son that went through the fire. That one was burned alive. This is the, but his, his son will reign for about two years here. Now, there's not a lot here uh, on... Uh, in, in the Kings, there's more of it in Chronicles, chapters 33 and so forth, the parallel passages. 
Manasseh, uh, what's not recorded here, he was taken uh, captive to Babylon by the Assyrians. Before, this is before the Babylonian Empire really is independent, probably by Ashurbanipal. And, uh, he, uh, and apparently the record in Chronicles 33 indicates that Manasseh, while he is a prisoner in Assyria, in the city of Babylon, the city was part of the Babylonian Empire under the Assyrians, he repents. And uh, to and uh, so in God's grace, He allowed Manasseh to uh, return to Jerusalem after a period of activity. And after his restoration, He uh, cleaned up a lot of the uh, the idolatry in Judah, according to Second Chronicles thirty three. But his but uh, his sins had stained Judah so deeply that uh, did not avert God's judgment. And so Manasseh, the record says, despite this horrible, horrible reign, he did repent. And uh, evangelists sometimes will use Manasseh as an example. They'll preach from that. They'll tell about, you know, here's the guy. Manasseh is worse than any of us, it would seem, I presume. (laughs) And yet even he repented and was saved. That's the lesson from the Scripture. God's grace is incredible. But but, uh, you do need to understand, to understand what's forthcoming, what the the legacy that Manasseh left behind. Really, he's a bad news guy. Now Ammon, his son, was 22 years old when he began to reign. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, and the daughter of Haruz of Yatba. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. No surprise, like father, like son, right? And he walked in all the way that his father walked in, and served idols that his father served, and worshipped them. So he's uh, not somebody to emulate here. For he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and walked not in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against the king of Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. Now Josiah is good news. So his servants slew him, but then the public had an outrage. They slew the servants that slew him. Be with me. So they didn't get away with anything, but they did get, uh, in other words, it was a popular uprising to uh, bring the murderers to justice. Now, Josiah is a young kid, but circumstances thrust him on the throne. He's going to be, a, <laughs> he's pretty young. He's eight years old, but he does a great job. But he does a, And how he does it is a mystery. He's not, with that heritage, with Manasseh and him, you know, that background. Here's this young kid, but this young kid uh, is one of the best uh, to come along. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in a sepulcher in the Garden of Uzzah, and Josiah's son reigned in his stead. Notice that both he and Manasseh were not buried in the royal tombs. They were buried in their own house. They didn't, they didn't rate that kind of, of uh, promotion, so to speak. Okay. Now let's talk. Let's, let's, have some, let's get some good news. We're going to look at the reign of Josiah in chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, and uh, the daughter of Adiah of Bosgath. I have to presume that his mother was a dandy. When you have a kid this young, assuming these responsibilities, to accomplish what Josiah ends up accomplishing, we'll detail that, uh, is impressive. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. David his, you know, great, 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 great grandfather, but David his uh, father. Remember, by the way, let me highlight that. Uh, 
We speak of sons and grandsons or fathers and grandfathers, great-grandfathers. That's, that's in English. In the Hebrew, your father can be, doesn't mean your adjacent father. It could be your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Still your father. So you're of his loins is the idea. So be on your guard. Sometimes you'll say he is the son of so-and-so. It doesn't mean he's the direct son. It could be a couple of generations between there. So we want to be careful of that. But in any case, he walked in all the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Figure of speech, of course, but he's a straight arrow. He's a straight guy. He's, 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 he's diligent, and that's exciting. Now, it's kind of interesting to realize that during his reign, the dominant power of the world previously was Assyria. It's weak. And, and, and shortly, one of the cities in Assyria will grow and take over, called Babylon. So we're going to have a handover from the Assyrian Empire to the Babylonian Empire during his reign. You know, from their point of view, you could say, well, that's, they're all these big power groups to the east, but there's an important difference. When Babylon conquers Assyria, they have, incidentally, they also conquer all the slaves of the Assyrians. And so when Babylon conquers the, 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 per, the, the, uh, uh, southern kingdom, which they ultimately will, uh, they're going to commingle those slaves. So there's a, that's another puncture of the, uh, this lost ten tribes idea. But let's move on. Uh, so Josiah's a good guy. It came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, so he's been at it 10 years now, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, and he goes on, this guy, Shaphan, is an interesting guy. He has quite a, uh, a, uh, uh, um. By the way, uh, from the Chronicles we discover that when he's, uh, he took over the throne at eight, he probably had a counselor really running things, but when he's 16 is when he discovers and returns to the Lord. And so he uh, began his religious reforms when he was 20. And so we'll, we'll read all about that. And Josiah will be the fourth reformer, by the way. If we'd gone through this by, just by way of review, Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Hezekiah, we're all reformers. But Josiah's forms are more extensive than any of the previous ones. Now, in the uh, 18th year, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, that is, to the temple. The temple had fallen into disrepair. In fact, uh, you know, uh, Manasseh had, re- had wrecked the place. Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered to the people. So they're going to, uh, the, the temple has been desecrated by Manasseh. He, he built pagan altars and all that in there. So uh, in Josiah's 18th year, that in other words, he's, now he's about 26, he began to repair the temple and restore its condition. And he sent his officer, a secretary kind of guy, a t- chief of staff maybe, Saphon. His son, Ahikam, is going to be uh, a key player subsequently. And also, it's Shaphan's grandson that will be Gedaliah, appointed governor by the Babylonians when they take him into captivity. That'll tie that later as we get together. But anyway, uh, verse 5, And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house under the carpenters, the builders, the masons, to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the temple. So they got a building project going on here. And uh, um, there's some times the, 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 the descendants of Shaphan are going to keep players as we go forward here, but uh, we'll keep moving here. Um, now, for some time, see, money had been being collected for this purpose. Now there was enough to start handing in and getting the work done. That's basically the thought that's behind here. And in this case, the, they proved trustworthy. 
Uh, Howbeit there was no reckoning made with uh, with them of the money that was delivered unto their hand, because they dealt faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. This is a big, big event. Don't let it just slip by us here. They have been in a half a century of idolatry. And uh, they didn't have the word of the God. Think about that. Over a generation, normally 40 years, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're in trouble. And what they find as they're doing the reconstruction, they're cleaning up the temple, tearing down the pagan idols, and reestablishing mosaic worship there. Somehow they discover what apparently, I assume was hidden, is a copy of the law. The Torah, at least, maybe more. And uh, they read it. They discover by reading it how far they've fallen. There's awakening. This is a revival. It's interesting. If you study revivals, they always derive from the Word of God. Just embracing the Word of God. And you see other things that are gimmicks and stuff. No, no. Real revivals are just the Word of God. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and delivered it to the hand of them that do the work that have oversight in the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. It uh, Very likely that would include uh, Leviticus 26. You might put this in your notes. I won't take the time here so we don't get off track. But uh, Leviticus 26 would be included in that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Deuteronomy 28. And uh, in other words, these the incredible promises, how God warns them. How, he tells them how He'll bless them if they're faithful, and He'll also punish them if they're not. And they suddenly realize that they found the rule book, if you will. Okay, And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law. See, apparently they read it to him there. He's listening. And if it's the whole Torah, that's quite a bit of writing. It certainly would include the book of Deuteronomy, Leviticus Deuteronomy, but probably the whole thing. Anyway, when he heard the words of the book of law, that he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes. It's a very Jewish form of grief. Or, sorry, is it? Tears close. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.